Hey, everybody. What's happening? Well, thanks. Uh, my name is Darren, and excited to be with you tonight. I will just—this uh, isn't in my notes, but just because Jason brought it up, I—I uh, I did live here for a while. And when my sons were little, they're older now, 22 and 20, my my uh, oldest boys. But when they were like, you know, third grade, fourth grade, on Sunday afternoons—if you haven't been here in the summer on a Sunday afternoon—all the buses roll in from all over the state and other places. You know, buses after buses, and so. Uh, my sons and I would load up buckets with uh, water balloons, and we'd go and sit on the bridge, which is now demolished, but we'd sit on the bridge, and we'd hide those buckets underneath our seat, and then inevitably, you'd get a bus that would come across with the windows rolled down, because, you know, they don't always have AC, or at least they didn't back in the day, and it's fairly easy to lob a water balloon through an open bus window, and so uh, we, we did that for years. Like, that was our Sunday afternoon thing every, and I got yelled at a lot, and that's okay, but it was fun, it was fun, so no big thing. Uh, like uh, Emily and Jason already said, I'm from Fullerton and excited to be with you. And one of the things I'm most excited about in a conference like this is the, the spirit of collaboration. Um, I wouldn't call myself like a true artist like some of you are. Some of you are like legit artists. I'm a guy who's creative and artistic, and I like all kinds of artsy things. So I'm a little bit of a songwriter, a little bit of a painter. I, I, in the last couple of years, I've taken up traditional wool rug hooking. So I'm a rug hooker now. I can talk to you more about that if you're interested. Um, but I, like that tells you a little bit about my kind of creativity. I'm not like an expert at anything. I'm just a guy who likes to fool around with art in a bunch of different ways, right? But, but what I love about art, and those of us who love art and creativity is the spirit of collaboration. I can learn something from everybody about how to be better at what I do. And so what I'm hoping this weekend is that while there are some times of instruction like this and sometimes we're going to process some things together, I'm really hoping that around tables and sitting in front of fire pits and whatever else, we get a chance to kind of compare notes and make each other better collaboratively. So in my remarks for tonight, in this message that I brought tonight, I want to talk to you kind of about creativity in, in three phases. Um, and the first phase is this, and, and Michael's already hit this really beautifully, but gosh, if we're going to talk about being followers of Jesus or, or created beings, verse 1, chapter 1, book 1 of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, talks about creativity, right? So you see that. Just, just to remind you, in the beginning, and that's the beginning of all of this, right? In the beginning, God created. So when we talk about creation, we talk about being a creator or being a maker, right? However, whatever language you like. We talk about creativity. The place where creativity begins is at the beginning of human history, right? God created. That's verse one, book one, chapter one. That's where the whole thing starts with creativity. God is creative and he created us in his image. Uh, one of the reasons why God forbids idols is that he had created image bearers already. All of us are his image bearers. So, so his people were never allowed to have graven images or carved statues or any kind of idols because what he had created were living flesh and bone image bearers of himself, right? So he creates us, and because he's a creative God, he creates us with creativity in our guts. And it doesn't matter whether you're a painter or a traditional wool rug hooker or a, an architect, or you might be an accountant. You might make beautiful spreadsheets. There is a creativity in us all because we are built from the ground up to, to carry the image of our God. Colossians chapter 1, just to, just to specify this and drill it down a little closer, says that that creative act, that creative act is actually the work of Christ himself. So in Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 15 and 16, it says he, and that's speaking of the Lord Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, right? So thinking about 
that, that he created us for worship from the ground up again, built to adore him. We're built for worship, and our lives play that out. So you don't have to look very hard to recognize that you and I are worshiping something all the time. Moments ago, you might have been worshiping that chocolate cake that was on the table, right? There was a moment where I slipped into idolatry because the chocolate cake was really good, and you have to correct, but we're always worshiping something. Favorite rock bands, favorite sports teams. We're, we are built for worship, and our lives prove it, right? We're always glorifying something. Most of the time, unfortunately, we're glorifying ourselves, but we're built to glorify God. We're built to glorify God. So when we talk about creativity, we start with God. And what God has created says something about who he is. What God has created says something about who he is in the same way that everything you've ever created or ever will create says something about you. I remember when I was living at Hume Lake, uh, my son Jack was uh, in school here. They have a, you know, kind of a little charter school. I don't want to, I'm not trying to like belittle it. It's a great school, but it's, you know, it's small. That's what I mean by that. And uh, I got called into the, uh, into the teacher's office when Jack was in first grade, and she says, I have a problem with this paper that your son has written. You know, first graders, it's, not like a, it's just like a paragraph. I have a problem with this paragraph. And I said, well, what's the problem? And she says, well, we asked, the assignment was for all the first graders to write a paragraph about the, uh, the person that they most admire in their family. And I said, okay, well, that, that doesn't seem like a big deal. You know, like, what's the, so what's the issue? And she goes, well, your son wrote about Randy. And I'm sitting there with the teacher, Mrs. Plouffe, for those of you who know her, and I'm trying to think about anybody in my family named Randy, and I, we don't have anybody in our family named Randy. So now I'm a little concerned. <laughs> and I said, uh, okay, I get why this is a problem, because we don't have anybody in our family named Randy. And she goes, that's not what your son said. And I was like, well, okay, so maybe this is an issue about honesty or whatever. And she goes, your son said that he used to have a brother who is now dead, and you're keeping his decapitated head in your shed, and his name is Randy. And I was like... Okay, now I remember Randy, right? Now I remember, I re yeah, okay, so that, that Randy, oh, yeah. And so now the first grade teacher in this tiny community at Hume Lake is looking at me wanting to know about the dead body in my shed, and uh, so I said, you know, the way that went down is there was a, there was a Saturday morning where we're cleaning out the shed, and uh, we're, we're moving things around, whatever, and in the back of the, sh I used to be in a band, right, so when we were touring, uh, we had merchandise, hats and sweatshirts and things we'd sell, and I have this mannequin head uh, that we would put hats on, and when I stopped touring, what do you do? I don't know what you do with the mannequin head. You just put it in the back of the shed, right? So I have this mannequin head in the back of the shed, and as we're cleaning the shed, my son Jack, uh, who's little guy at the time, kindergartner earlier, looked to the back of the shed, and he goes, what's that? You know, and I was like, I looked down, and I see it, and I was like, don't worry about that. And he goes, what is it? And I was like, well, I used to have a brother. And he's like, what? And I was like, yeah, we don't talk about it much because, you know, makes your mom really sad, but uh, we couldn't bear to part with him entirely, and so we just, we keep his head in the back of the shed. Don't, no. And he's like, nah, uh And I was like, mm, you can ask your mom about it. And he's like, mom! And he goes running into the house, and she's like, your dad's a dirty liar, and that was like a whole thing we had to work out. Well, so then, a year and a half later, uh, my son is in first grade or whatever, and he's asked to write a paper about his, uh, the person in his family that he admires the most, and he decides to write about that person, right? Now, here's the point of that whole long, embarrassing story. What you create says something about you, right? My, I made this joke with my kid. That's the kind of father I am to my shame. It's the kind of parent I am. And that it was made manifest in the life of my son, who not only picked up the joke and then tried to retell the joke, but didn't necessarily have the rapport in order to execute it well. No pun intended, right? So, like, you get that. What, he, he reflected something about me, and I was embarrassed. What we create says something about us. 
everything you've ever made, it says something about you. And God, in the beginning, created. And what he created says something about him. It says something about who he is. If you have a Bible, and I'm not presuming that you do, but if you, even if you have it on your phone or whatever, turn with me to Psalm 19. Some of you maybe have come to the conference because you're poets, right? And that's awesome, and I'd love to talk with you about your, your craft and whatever. We've got some poetry here in Psalm 19. We're not reading a science text, so don't get too hung up on the circuit of the sun. We all understand. I hope you understand that the sun is not on a circuit, and yet that's, it's poetic language, right? But what is revealed here in the first few verses of Psalm 19 uh, is a beautiful description of the way that God's creation speaks of him, says something about its creator, right? It says this. These are just the first, you know, six verses. It says in Psalms 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom, leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. I love that. I love the description of the created order, right? And I just, I mean, we could go kind of verse by verse and see some things that the, that the creation does that tell us something about who created them, right? Even, I'll just give you a couple of examples, right? In verse two, day to day, the creation, the, the skies, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day to day, they pour out speech and night to night, they reveal knowledge. What that tells us is that the created order, the things that God has made, they are incessant, right? They're not intermittent, they're tireless in their glorification of God. The sun is always doing what it does. The mountains, it doesn't matter when you look at them, they are always declaring something about God. And so we see something both about the character of God in the tirelessness of the created order, but we also see that, that what he has made never stops honoring him. Day to day it pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. It says in verse 3, there is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. I love the fact that in this poetic language it describes what God has made as being uh, relatable or being accessible to every person, no matter where they come from, no matter what their background, no matter what language they speak. Similarly, in Romans, right, maybe familiar to you, in Romans chapter 1, it says in verse 20 that God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature, they've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So men are without excuse when they don't worship him and they instead worship the created things, right? Because from the beginning, the creation is speaking so that men have no excuse. So not only do we see that what God has made is tireless and incessant in its praise, but we also see that it's universal in its understanding. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter who you are. You can look at the mountains or the stars or the sun, and you can recognize something about your creator, right? You can recognize something about your creator. It's universal in, in its communication. Back to Psalm chapter 19, look at verse 4. It says, Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun. I love the fact that the, the picture here is of, of the created order going out, right? There's something active about that. It's not, it's not passive. He's created this world, and it's running, this beautiful mechanism, right, that is working. It's doing the thing it's intended to do, and that's by God's design. It says something about who God is. He's tireless and incessant. He's universal in his communication. He's active and constant. 
Verse 5, it says, In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Right? The sun. And to me, when I read that section of the poem, I think about the beauty, or the, just like the gloriousness, like the... Like that is a triumphant picture, the sun coming out like a bridegroom, and it runs in glory and power. You know, you've got this like kind of epic picture. What God has made is not small. It's not kind of like ho-hum. It's not, you know, yeah, yeah, so what, whatever. It's desirable and glorious, right? And as it goes on in verse 6, it says, its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. The last sort of descriptor I see in this, in addition to its incessance and its universal accessibility and its activity and in its desirableness is that it's also generous. I'm reminded as I read verse 6 of Matthew chapter 5 verse 45 well or 44 where it says and this is Jesus speaking he says I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The people he was saying it to that that would have been shocking to them because they were used to being nice to the people who were nice to them and Jesus says, no, 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 you, you've got to love those who are unkind to you. You've got to be generous, and, and you've got to be gracious to those who don't deserve it and who haven't earned it, right? And he goes on to say in verse 45, after 44, he says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his Son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust, right? So in talking again, Jesus himself talking about the created order, he says, you should be good to everyone, kind to everyone, even those who don't deserve it. Look at the sun, look at the sea, look at the mountains, feel the wind in your hair and recognize that God does those good things for everybody, even those who don't deserve it, who don't appreciate it, who would use his name as a curse. He still blesses them with the feeling of the sun on their face, right? And he says, so should you be in your interactions with other people. That's a way to be children of your father who gives good gifts to people. So should you, right? So in, in Psalm 19, in this sort of poetic language, it paints this picture of God's creation being incessant or tireless, right? Being universal in its accessibility, being active and desirable and generous. Generous that anybody can receive from it, right? That we all receive from it, and that's God's design. Now, what's interesting about that, as I sort of wrap up phase one of what I want to share with you tonight, is that it's easy when we're thinking about the poem in Psalms 19 to think about God's created order being all of these things, but it's easiest for us to think about it when we think of it in terms of the mountains or the wind or the sunshine or the stars, right? But here's, here's a thing you don't want to miss. You and me are part of that created order, Right? So there's a, there's a truth here I don't want you to miss, and that's this. You know that every human being on the planet glorifies God? They all do. Their circulatory system does it, right? The fact that their hair grows, that their lungs work, that they have the ability to walk, that their thumbs do this, whatever. All that stuff that God built them with, it glorifies God just by being what it is. Every human being who is alive glorifies God. Now, the difference between human beings and the mountains or the trees or the wind, and this is phase two of my talk tonight, the difference is that we have something the mountains and the ocean and the wind do not have. The trees don't have, the puppies don't have, right? And that is intention. We have a gift that the rest of the created order doesn't have. We have something that the mountains and the trees don't have, and that is a will. We have the ability to think and to act and to intend. That gift of intention is something God uniquely gave to us as his image bearers, right? And so there is a different dimension to our creativity. There's a different dimension to the created order. Look, you can do nothing with your intention 
and you will still glorify God just because you're, you're made. You're a created being. So just live and you'll glorify God. But you can do better than that because you've been given intention, right? All day long, you and I have the opportunity to be glorifying God with our thoughts and our words and our deeds and our attitudes. It has nothing to do with our circulatory system. It has to do with the intention of our heart, that we, that we think about who God is and we worship him or glorify him because he is our creator, because he is good, because he's made all these things. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11 says, and these are the 24 elders that have fallen down before him who's seated on the throne. In verse 11 they say, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. At the end of the story of human history, the elders will fall down and worship as an act of intention to say, you made all this and you are worthy of our praise, right? That's intention. It's different than what the mountains do. The mountains don't ever intend to glorify God. They have no intention. The puppies don't ever intend to glorify God, as far as I know. I keep asking mine, but they won't answer, right? That intention is something really beautiful. Psalms chapter 148, verses 1 through 5 say, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his hosts. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He established them forever and ever. He gave a decree and it shall not pass away. That speaks to our ability to intentionally praise the one who gave us life and breath, who put all this in motion, who gives us the chance to take out a sailboat or whatever else. Colossians, similarly, Paul says in Colossians 3, uh, 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There's something really beautiful about us being able to take these lives and not just glorify God by being a, a piece of sort of walking meat, but glorify God because we've decided to do so. Right? Glorifying God because we decided to do so. That's something he's built into us. Right? So we have this ability to glorify him with intention. Um, I, sometimes to sort of illustrate the difference between intention and unintention, I'll talk about, I have, a, I have a Furby. Do you guys know what a Furby is? And it might make you uncomfortable for me to talk about this. If it does, follow me later. But I have, I have a Furby. And you, I mean, there's probably a decent question about why I have it. But I, it doesn't, that doesn't matter. I have a Furby, and if you know anything about Furbies, they're like these little furry robots, right? And uh, you, you basically, the way you feed them is you just jam your finger in their mouths, right? So they have a little kind of a beak thing on the front, and you jam your finger in there. And if you do that every day for a little while, when you're jamming your finger in their mouth, they'll go, mmm, mmm, it's good, right? They do that thing for a while. It's, admittedly, it's creepy, so you, but you... <laughs> You do that, and then, and then you build a relationship with this little robot over time. And I was doing this uh, one day in my office with my Furby, which is probably not a great use of work time, now that I think about it. But I, so I'm feeding the Furby in my office, and all of a sudden, the weirdest thing happened. I had the Furby for about a year at this time, and I had my finger jammed in its mouth, because I'm a decent Furby dad, and I'm feeding it, and it's going, mmm, good, you know. And then all of a sudden, you guys, it's like, it, it blinks its eyes a couple times, and its ears go, you know, and then a... Uh, its eyes roll back in its head, and it looks at me, and it goes, me love you. <laughs> it's the first time I'd ever, I, and, I, and you guys, I, in that moment, I got like the most beautiful feeling that washed over me, and I, I held the Furby up to my face, and I was like, I love you too, you know, and then I cl kind of clutched it to my chest, and I ran up and down the hallway, 
And I said to people, Furby and I are in love, you know? And this is a beautiful, the beautiful thing just happened in my office. And no, none of that happened, right? None of that happened. So let me tell you what actually happened, right? What actually happened is I had my finger jammed in its mouth, and all of a sudden its eyes blinked and its ears did its thing, and it went, Me love you. And I felt nothing. I felt nothing. You know why? Uh, because there's a microchip in there or some piece of electronics. And when you've jammed your finger in its mouth long enough, it's programmed to articulate affection. And that feels like nothing. It feels like nothing. It's a robotic programmed response. Differently, with each of my kids, I said I have four, with each of my kids, there was some point in their life, and maybe if you're a parent, you've experienced this as well. With each of my kids, at one point or another, I've had my children crawl up into my lap and look me in the face and tell me they love me. And when they did that, I did feel the warm fuzzies then, right? Then you get the little tear. Why? Because in that moment, the kids have said lots of other things. They've said, me poopy, and I want a cracker, or whatever. Like, the kids are capable of saying they have millions of expressions they can use. And in that moment, with their intention, they chose to express affection. You see the difference? Because they have intention. They could have said, I'm poopy, and, and maybe they were, and they also loved me. But, you know, it's just like a way to get there, Right? But it's meaningful, right? God has created us different than the created order. He's created us with intention. So we then need to pay attention to what we do with that intention, right? Because the rest of the created order, you guys, even if we just take the poetic language from Psalm 19, the rest of the created order is tireless in its praise, right? It's universal in its accessibility. It's active and desirable. It's determined and generous. I will say that even though we've been blessed with intention, for many of us in the lives we live day in and day out, our worship of God, even with the intention we've been blessed with, pales in comparison to the worship of the mountains that have no intention, and that's a shame, right? Many times, the rocks and the trees do it better than us and they don't even have a choice. With the intention we've been given, with the will we've been given, our hope is that we would take the life, we, as a part of the created order, as a, as a result of the creativity of God, that we would take the life and breath we've been given and we would outdo the rest of the created order that has no intention. Does that make sense? And, th and that takes determination. It takes being purposeful in what we do. Our proclamation, our lives, should exceed the rest of the created order. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, we are his workmanship. The word there is uh, the same word, root word for poetry. We're his, we're his work of art. We're his poema, right? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. God created us with this intentionality that we would outdo the rest of the created order with our worship, with our glory, Right? So we then should be at least incessant, universal act of all of these things, right? So, so that's sort of the, the second phase that I wanted to articulate. We're a part of the created order, but we, we, we are better than that. And so we have to be really, uh, I think, particular in our intention. And here's where I come to the third, the third section here. And we'll sort of finish up here. And that has to do with creativity, right? It has to do with our creation, because unlike the mountains and the trees and the puppies, we have also, as image bearers of God, been given the ability to create ourselves, and, that, and that's unique. We have the, and I'm not, I'm not just talking about procreation. I'm actually talking about all kinds of. I'm talking about traditional wool rug hooking, right? That that if I'm going to set my mind to create a traditional wool rug, 
and I'm going to take the time to do so, I need to be thinking about why I'm doing it and what the purpose is in doing it. Because if I'm not careful, and this is here's the thing I don't want you to miss tonight. If I'm not careful with my creation, whatever that creation is, you can be a painter, you can be a dancer, you can be a poet, you can be an architect, you can be an accountant, right? Whatever it is you're creating, if you're not careful and you don't create with intention, you will create an idol. You'll create an idol. That, that's all that exists. There's either things that glorify God and things that don't. There is no, it's, a one, it's a binary, one and zero. Things that glorify God and things that don't. So if you're not creating with intention to glorify God, then you're creating an idol. Well, what does an idol do? Well, an idol is something fake. It's something fake that is created to produce uh, an emotional response that's not based in reality. Well, that's just like everything else we make. If it's not, if it's not rooted in the truth. If it's not rooted in the truth of who God is and who's he's who he's created us to be, then it's leading people to something else. It might, it might really blow the socks off your neighbors, right? They might see the rug you just made or the painting you just created. They might hear the song you wrote, and they might be blown away. But if it's not created with intention, then all, all they are is impressed with you, right? And if they're impressed with you, there is the temptation for them to worship you in some ways, and then you've made yourself and your song an idol. Jeff, you really cautious and intentional about this. We are created in the image of God. Our creator expresses his experience of himself. The truth of himself, he expresses in a way that we can experience and recognize, right? God, in the created order, expresses in all of this his, uh, his understanding of himself in a way that we can experience and recognize. Um, I'm nervous to mention Dorothy Sayers because Jerry's teaching tomorrow and he's like a big C.S. Lewis guy and so he knows more about Dorothy Sayers than me. But Dorothy Sayers will say that the creative process in all of us is, is that very thing. It's experience that then translates, right? It translates from our own experience to expression that then is recognized in someone else. That's, that's whatever kind of creativity you've got in your life, that's what it is. It's your experience then expressed in a way that can be recognized, right? So think about this. That, that's what God has done in the created order as well. When we do that, we're bearing God's image. What, what the created order is, as God made it, is his experience of the truth of who he is put out there for us, right, to understand. Expressed by God, experienced by us in a way that then allows us to recognize him, right? And when we create, we have the opportunity to replicate that same process. But the key for us is it has to start with an experience of God. Uh, I might say it different than Dorothy Sayers, and she's not around anymore to argue with me. So here's the way I'd say it, right? I would say that, that for me, I think a lot about the revelation of Christ. Christ revealed, right? Christ revealed. And here's the way I think. I think of it in, in, three, in three sort of chapters. I think about Christ revealed to me. And that happens in a variety of ways. That happens when I study God's word. It happens when I'm in the body of Christ and I see, you know, like Ephesians talks about um, that together with the saints, you know, when we're rooted in Christ and established in him, that together with the saints, we begin to increasingly apprehend the unknowable love of God in its height and breadth and width and length, right? That, that experience of the unknowable love of Christ can then be expressed in my life. So Christ revealed to me that's me learning more about God. And by the way, I'm never going to finish that. Not now, not in eternity. Uh, the understanding or the experience of God is not something that will ever be exhaustible. Uh, that's why when you translate that verse in Ephesians, in Ephesians 3, that second of those two prayers, you should not say that we increasingly comprehend uh, the, the love of God because we won't ever comprehend the love of God. We'll only apprehend it. I'll kind of sort of reel it in over time, right? So we spend our lives learning more, experiencing more about who God is, who Christ is. And as Christ is revealed to us, 
Then the next thing that happens is what? An expression of that. Well, that's Christ revealed in us. And when I say Christ revealed in us, that means that over time through sanctification, I'm being conformed to the image of Christ. Certainly that's an, an individual thing. But maybe more importantly, Christ is revealed in us, the body, right? There's something really beautiful. Peter talks about the fact that the church, that we are all living stones in a spiritual house that becomes a residence for God's spirit, right? That God doesn't just, I mean, God dwells in you. So Holy Spirit dwells in you if you're a believer in Christ individually. But check this. Holy Spirit dwells in us also, right? Same thing, but, but like in us corporately. That's why division's so terrible, right? Because there's something about us being united that puts God's spirit on display. So Christ revealed to me, then Christ revealed in me. That's experience that then's followed by expression. And once Christ is revealed in me or in us, then the beautiful third movement of that is Christ revealed by me. Christ revealed to us, Christ revealed in us, Christ revealed by us, right? It's the, it's the byproduct of an experience of God, then expression of God in me, that then can be recognized by the guy at the local gas station or the, the waitress at the restaurant that I like to go to or my children or my neighbors, my coworkers, right? That all of a sudden I'm putting Jesus on display and then watch this, that whole cycle then repeats, right? Because somebody maybe looks at my life or they look at the things I've made, my traditional wool rug or whatever, and they go, this is beautiful, and you've, you've done this with uh, intention. And, and I, by the way, when I talk about being intentional in the revelation of Christ, I'm not talking about sewing a dove on everything, right? So I'm not, I'm not talking about painting like a little, like a little, you know, like a, I'm not, talk, I'm not talking about like a, you know what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we, we do things with excellence. Uh, Dorothy Sayers again will say, if, if you're a, a carpenter, the way in which to glorify God with your art is to just build an awesome table, Right? Right? So, so here, as Christ is revealed to me, I'm expressing it with intention. Right? I'm building a beautiful table or I'm hooking a beautiful rug. By the way, when you go to a, uh, I shouldn't even tell you this, but when you go to a national convention of traditional wool rug hookers, <laughs> which I did in, uh, in September in Kansas City, ate a lot of good barbecue, but the only way to describe that to other people is to say you're uh, going to a hooker convention. And if you're a pastor of a church, that, doesn't, that really doesn't play. It doesn't go well at all. What was I saying? I know I was saying something important, right? When we experience God, when we express that in our creativity, and we invite others to recognize that commonality of experience, the cycle begins again. Christ is revealed to them, and then Christ will over time become revealed in them, and then look, Christ becomes revealed by them. So when we talk about our creativity being different than the mountains and the trees and the water and the lake and whatever else, yeah, not only do you have intention, but with that intention, you're able to create something that's masterful and beautiful, that's done in the spirit and the heart of Christ, who creates these things that are incessant and universal and accessible and active and desirable and generous, right? Take on these characteristics and the things that you make. And then what happens is that because of that intentionality, it, it opens the door for conversation with the people that are observing the work that you've done to say, why this? Who are you? Where do you come from? What stirred this in you? You can't have a conversation with, and it's not because I'm a pastor, but because I am dedicated to King Jesus, you can't have a conversation with me without hearing about Christ. Everything I'm doing is rooted in that. I'm an ambassador of the kingdom of God. Like you can't really talk to me about anything I'm doing without, without that conversation being tied in, right? Now, we don't create like God. We create in a different way because God creates from nothing, right? 
So, so, and I don't want to get too like wacky theological with you, but the reality is we don't create like that. We're not creating from nothing. All we're ever doing, even songwriters, all we're ever doing is we're just taking stuff other people have done and every, everything's a mashup, right? We're just rehashing stuff. It's, everything's a who song already, right? <laughs> but there is the opportunity as Christ is revealed to me to see Christ revealed in me. And then when Christ is revealed in me, it, Christ can be revealed by me. But we have to be intentional and we have to be careful that we don't skip the step. And here's sort of the heart of here I want to finish, right? I'm almost out of time. There is a temptation for us as artists to skip the experience of God. Right? To skip Christ revealed to me and to just go straight to Christ revealed in me or by me. Most of the time it's just straight to by me. Like I just want to write a Christian song or I want to make a Christian painting or I want, you know, whatever. Or I just want to be like an amazing Christian artist and I want to sell a million paintings and then people are going to be like, whoa, what's that? And I'm going to be like, whoa, Jesus, you know. Um, you, if, you, if you try and skip, if you try and skip the experience, all you can make are idols, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not growing in your knowledge of him, if you're not walking with him, Christ revealed to you, then what you're making are fabrications. They're like, they're like uh, phonies, right? Because then what you're doing is you're, you may create a response in the other person, but that response is fraudulent. It's like Brennan Manning says, uh, many of us are like, uh, he says, half-hearted travel agents handing out brochures to places we've never been, right? In our art, in the things we're making, if we're not careful, we skip the experience of Christ, knowing Christ more, growing in our, in our knowledge of him, then we go straight to just trying to reveal him. Well, what we're doing is we're, we're creating fakes, right? And those are, those are idols. An artistic work disconnected from reality, but fabricated to induce a response for selfish reasons. That's an idol, right? An artistic work disconnected from reality, but fabricated to induce a response for selfish reasons. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. And this is sort of rehashing things we've already said, but... Paul says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 says, whoever speaks should speak as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. The last thing I want to say, and this really is, I know I've said, this is the last thing I'm going to say three times. This is my fourth and final last thing I'm going to say. The one other cool thing about creating as Christ is revealed to me, Christ is revealed in me and then by me, is that our, the pieces that we create with intention, we take that intentionality and we create, they have the ability to glorify God even in our absence. So think about this with me for a second. I've written some songs over time, right? They're not great songs, but they're, they're fine. And they were written with intention, right? They were written for the purpose of glorifying God. And those songs exist even though I don't sing them anymore. Right? Those songs are out there. They're on sheet music in places. There's recordings. There are people who remember them and hum them in their heads. Those songs, they, they live apart from me, and they glorify God in places I'll never know about. They continue to glorify God in my absence. That is a beautiful thing that God has given us as makers and creators. In his image, we have the ability to create a thing that we can create and leave and walk away from and it will continue to glorify God without us even being there, right? That's something you should take very seriously as a creator. Think about the intentionality and the purposefulness of what you're making and recognizing that you're not necessarily always going to have those rugs or those paintings or those songs or those drawings or those poems or you're not going to always have that stuff with you. Some of that stuff you're going to make and release. You're going to turn it loose. 
And if it's created with intentionality, then in the same way that what God creates, like the, like the trees and the, the grass and the wind, in the same way that that stuff can glorify God without intention, in the image of God, we also have the ability to create things that will glorify God. They don't have intention in themselves, but because the creator, us, in the image of God, created with intention, they can continue to worship and to bring glory to God in your absence. And that's a really beautiful thing that God built into the created order that he allows us to take part in as well. That which we create can be fixed in time and space, glorifying God unceasingly, as long as it's an honest expression of our legitimate experience with God and not a fabrication generated for entertainment or personal gain, right? God's natural order is tireless, generous, active, desirable, universal, and unceasing. Let's let our lives and that which we create exceed what the mountains and the stars are capable of. Would you pray with me? God, I know it's a lot, and I move really fast, and I got sidetracked on stuff that I probably should have kept to myself. But um, thank you for who you are and for creating us, for allowing us to live in this place that declares your glory incessantly and beautifully and masterfully. And thank you for giving us the ability in your image to create kind of like you in a way that brings glory to you as we intend that purpose. God, I pray that you, would, that you would stir in all of us a desire to take the creativity placed in us and to use it for your glory and the good of others. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.